Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. So this is an episode I'm so looking forward to, and I can't wait to share this man's profound wisdom with you because I just finished his book barely a few days ago. And the book was so good. It's called Vivid Vision. And the man I have on the show tonight is Cameron Harold. Vivid Vision was such a good book that immediately before even putting it down, I had to start getting on Google Docs and doing the exercise Cameron prescribed. See, what I learned from Vivid Vision is that so many of us, when we are working in a company or leading a company, we have a vision for where we want to take that company. As a CEO, I know that for 15 years, I've had visions of where I wanted to go, but it never dawned on me that I should probably set some time aside, create a four-page Google document, painting my vision in rich detail three years forward so that I can share this with my employees. Instead, no, I bypassed that process. I work with OKRs, with business plans. I work with the Rockefeller habits. And I just assumed that the people I was leading knew what the hell I was thinking about. And so Vivid Vision was a real eye-opener for me. I mean, before putting down this book, I remember by the time I got to like chapter three, I was already thinking, why didn't someone sit me down 10 years ago and explain this concept to me? So anyway, before we begin, let me read you the bio for Cameron Harold because this man has influenced my life in so many ways through his book. So Cameron was an entrepreneur from day one. At age 21, 14 employees. By 35, he had built his first two $100 million companies. By the age of 42, Cameron engineered 1-800-GOT-JUNK spectacular growth from $2 million to $106 million. He took the company from 14 to 3,100 employees. And Rich Calgard of Forbes magazine said, Cameron Harron is the best speaker I've ever heard. He hits grand slams. So I cannot wait to bring Cameron Harold onto this podcast to have him share with you his brilliant concept of vivid visions. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. Cameron Harold, you're the author of Vivid Vision. This book was unbelievable. Those of you listening, if you're leading a company, if you are the type of person who loves setting intention to how you want your life to unfold, go get this. And Cameron, welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Hey, Vishen. Thank you. It's funny because as you were saying all that, I was kind of giggling to myself thinking, Vishen likes vivid visions. Vishen likes vivid visions. So like it's going to become a comfort. <laughs> Honestly, thank you for writing such amazing books. So for those of you who have never heard of Cameron, Cameron wrote a series of books, which I've been reading you know, over the last decade from Double Double. I read that book probably like six, seven years ago. Double Double is a remarkable book on doubling your business. And then Meeting Suck. That's actually the title of the book. It's called Meeting Suck and one of the most loathed elements of business into one of the most valuable. He wrote The Morning Miracle, co-authored with Hal Elrod, and now Vivid Vision, which is my favorite Cameron Harold book. So Cameron, I wanted to spend this podcast having you share the concept of Vivid Vision with our Mind Valley audience. Sure. The idea was something that was introduced to me 20 years ago now. I was in Vancouver, Canada, 
And I was invited to a lunch with about 120 CEOs. And we were all invited down to this lunch and only 16 of us showed up. And of the 16 of us that got there, it seemed kind of flaky at first. The person who was speaking to us was a high-performance sports psychologist who worked with Olympic athletes. And he worked with Olympic athletes so that they could visualize themselves performing the event. And he worked with them to practice seeing themselves over and over in their own minds so that when they performed the event, they could perform it almost completely on instinct. So he was trying to take us inside the mind of an athlete. And we really didn't understand how to apply it into the business world. So he gave us a really strong analogy that worked well for us. And he said, if you were building a house or renovating a kitchen, the CEO of that project is really the homeowner. You know, The homeowner knows what they want the finished home to look and feel like, but no one else can read their mind. And you, know, you could get the best home builder in the world and say, here's 2 million bucks, build me my dream home. And they would build you something, but it might not look anything like what you had in mind. They might build you a very modern home and you might be looking for a craftsman style, or they might build you a ranch style home and you're looking for a three-story. So unless you can get out of your mind what you're looking for and get it into the minds of everyone else, at best, people are reading your minds. In the home building analogy, the homeowner explains the vision in so much detail to the contractor that the contractor can build the plans or the blueprint to create that homeowner's dream. And then when the homeowner signs off on the blueprints, they hand the blueprints to the employees and the employees can literally read the homeowner's mind and build the home without ever having to talk to them. And that was the biggest connection for me that showed me that entrepreneurs always had a vision in our mind and we were wondering why people couldn't read our mind. Well, it's because we never shared it with them. We never took our ideas out of our head and gave it to them in a way they could understand it. That's such a powerful idea and it's simple in a way, but just never dawned on me. And you know, for those of you who are listening who are not maybe entrepreneurs or not necessarily a CEO, know that vivid visions don't just apply to your business. They apply to, as Cameron Harrell puts it, the five Fs. Cameron, could you tell us about the five Fs? Sure. So I was introduced to this concept again years ago of friends, family, fitness, faith, and finance as being kind of the five core areas of our lives that as humans, we have to work at. And to have a great life, you want to work on all five of those. So if I was thinking about my own personal life right now, or my life as a father, or my life as a partner in building out a family, let's say it's a husband and wife building a family together, are you on the same page with your spouse? Or in your personal life, do you have a vision that you're working towards? So what I do is I craft a personal vivid vision for myself that looks at my life three years in the future. And I describe my future state. I describe what my friendships are like, what my family is like, what my spirituality or faith is like, what my finances are like, and how kind of my business wraps into my personal life, what my fitness activities are like. And I describe them all as if it's already come true, almost like an affirmation. But in the business world, the vivid vision becomes a four or five page written description of your company three years in the future. In your personal life, it might be a two or three page description of yourself three years in the future without knowing how you quite made it happen. But you kind of dream, I call it leaning out into the future three years from now and describing what you see. And you know why this idea is so powerful is I'm going to read a quote from your book. The reason companies spend so much time managing people, holding them accountable and running a permission-based system is because nobody knows where they are going. And you went on to say, the vivid vision is a three-dimensional world that you can step into and explore. It's a world you can share with your team to create 
true alignment and amazing results. It's a true roadmap that helps your team see where to go so they can figure out how to get there. Yeah, and it's been the missing piece in all businesses globally forever. You know, I'm very good friends with Bern Harnish who wrote the Rockefeller Habits that you mentioned in Scaling Up. I'm friends with Gino Rickman who wrote Traction. And it doesn't matter what business book you have out there, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And having a vision traction organizer, like you know, 10 points that describe your company just isn't enough detail. Or having a mission statement, you know, a one-sentence statement in a BHAG, those are good things, those are good tools, you need them, but they're still not enough. So the vivid vision for your company is going to describe what your employees are saying about you three years from now. It talks about what your customers are saying about you three years from now, what the media is writing about you. You describe your physical offices. You describe the technology you're using to stay connected with your virtual and remote teams. You talk about your meeting rhythms, the pulse of your technology, how you're using dashboards. You actually describe every single business area three years in the future. So you describe sales, you describe marketing, you describe IT, you describe operations. You describe it as if, like you said, you've walked into that three-dimensional world and you're walking around your company and you write down what you can see. The entrepreneur always has those visions in their own minds. And I think that's where the disconnect has always been. The entrepreneur is wondering why everybody doesn't make the same decisions. Well, it's because they don't see all that information that we see. And so the idea is to get it out of our mind and write it down in a way that they can also understand it. So years ago, I called it a painted picture. The reason I changed the term from painted picture to vivid vision, painted picture was a little bit confusing. People thought it included drawings or paintings, or they thought it was more like a vision board. And the problem with a vision board, a vision board is an amazing tool for one person, but it doesn't translate. A picture says a thousand words. So if I have 20 pictures on my vision board, you may see something in a photo that is very different from what I saw. You know, if I was showing you a picture of a dining room table in a beautiful restaurant, with champagne glasses and beautiful lighting and people sitting around. The only thing that I'm actually focused on in that painting for me is the champagne glasses, which for me illustrates, you know, celebrating the finer things in life. And you might think that that picture talks about being in nice restaurants. So the picture says a thousand words gets a little bit confusing. I like getting it down to the level where everyone can read each sentence of the vivid vision. We're very clear on what every sentence means. And every sentence becomes a future state that you try to figure out how to make that happen. Sentence by sentence, your vivid vision starts to become true. So I love the way you explain that. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned painted picture because I remember that terminology. I learned it from you. But what book in what year did you start using that phrase, painted picture? Yeah, so I wrote the term painted picture in my first versions of Double Double. I've now edited in version six or seven of Double Double. I started calling it a vivid vision there. But you read one of the early stage copies of Double Double. That would have come out around 2009, I believe. Right. So you know what? I hear you now because I read Double Double. In fact, I read and reread it twice around 2010, 2011. And I created a painted picture. But I did it wrong. It wasn't what you're talking about in Double Double. In fact, there's this famous blog post I wrote called Seven Ways to Start a $15 million a Year Business with No VC Money, right? And that post got shared everywhere. And in that post, I inserted my painted picture. But today, after reading Vivid Vision and I look at that picture, which was literally for me a color pencil drawing, I realized how unexact it was. The shape, colors I use, they meant something to me 
but heck, no one in my team could figure out what the hell I was saying. So that was the issue, I guess, with Painted Picture. I didn't fully grasp the concept until you wrote Vivid Vision. Perfect. Yeah. And that's why I decided to clarify it and codify it and just get a little bit more descriptive. And I think over the years, you know, because now there's companies all over the world that are using Vivid Visions, I've had clients that have gone out and raised serious money from venture capitalists because the VCs actually understood the business. I've had people that have landed clients because of it. I've had companies that have landed employees because the employees were excited about joining the company as to what it would look like in the future. So yeah, the key is to write it down and only leaning out three years. I think what's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs is we have bigger visions, you know, five-year, 10-year. Those are all fine. But when you describe those, they're so far out, you start to lose people a little bit. Right. No, I get what you're saying. Now, this concept of only leaning out three years and then using that vivid vision to draw attention to your business is so powerful, Cameron. I want to just emphasize on that and share a personal observation. So in 2015, I got to visit SpaceX and I got a private audience with Elon Musk. It was me, a group of us from the XPRIZE Foundation and Elon. And my jaw dropped when I heard Elon speak because Elon doesn't live anywhere close to present reality. He essentially was running a trucking company for space. So Elon Musk would build rockets to take spare parts into space, to the International Space Station, to deploy satellites. That's fine, but look, it's a trucking company. But rather than take cargo horizontally, you're taking cargo vertically, right? No big deal. There were 20 other rocket companies out there. But Elon was getting all the attention because Elon just wouldn't stay grounded in the present. As he would talk about SpaceX, he would talk about colonizing Mars. He would talk about how you know we back up our hard drive. So if something happens to our computer, we don't lose all our data. He was talking about backing up the human race by setting up a colony on Mars. So if Earth got struck by an asteroid and there's a one in 30,000 chance it'll happen in our lifetime, we don't perish as a species. And when he talks, he pulls you forward into this vision and you fall in love with it and you want to give him money, invest in SpaceX, buy Tesla stock. It's that Elon effect. And I started noticing, and after that encounter with Elon, I started noticing that so many visionaries in Silicon Valley, when they talk about what they're building, they never talk about the present. Exactly. They talk about the future. Yes. Yes. It's a powerful idea. This is a great example. So in January of 1995, I got a phone call. So 23 years ago, I got a phone call from Kimball Musk, Elon's brother. Kimball had worked for me two years before at College Pro Painters. So did his cousin, Peter Reeve, who built Solar City. They were both franchisees of mine. So I coached Kimball Musk and trained him. So January of 95, he needed me to be a reference in the very first round of funding that he and his brother were raising for Zip2. He and his brother had one employee. They were showering next door at the gym. They were sleeping on a couch at their office. And no one would back Elon because his dreams were too big and they needed to see the plans and that someone could actually do it. And the reason they actually talk about College Pro Painters in the book about Elon Musk was because of that round of funding. They wanted to raise $600,000. They raised $3 million. Kimball called me that night and said, I don't know what you told Kleiner Perkins, but they gave us $3 million instead of six hundred grand. So I've known Elon for a long time. His ability to have a vision and communicate that vision with simplicity so people understand it. And that's exactly what they do is they magnetize you to that vision and then they get out of the way and they let you figure out how to make it happen. (laughs) So this is the hardest part for a lot of entrepreneurs is we try to be overly involved. But if I'm the homeowner building a house, 
I don't want to be doing electrical and plumbing and hanging cabinets, nor should I be telling someone how to put in the electrical and hanging cabinets and putting in a wolf stove. I just need to explain what it looks like, make sure that everyone understands what I want, and then get the heck out of their way and let them do it and cheer them on. Absolutely. Now, there's a question there, though. You said to set a vivid vision three years in the future, right? But of course, if you look at someone like Elon, he's thinking 10 years in the future. Well, he's thinking 10 years in the future, but there's the BHAG, right, which is the big, hairy, audacious goal of colonizing Mars. But as an example, the vivid vision of building the Tesla Model S, the reason it had to have the seven-seat option was because he has five kids, right? It had to fit his body someplace. He's six foot five. Like I sit in my Tesla, I've got lots of headroom and legroom and the person. So he explained the vision that is close enough for people to rally around, but he still communicates the big, hairy, audacious goals as well, which are very different. You're right. You're right. And those of you listening to this podcast, Google Tesla's world domination plan. So one thing that really impressed me about Elon is a couple of years ago, he wrote a famous blog post called world domination plan. And then he folded it up with world domination plan part two. And he literally spoke step-by-step of how Tesla was going to bring mankind into a new era of alternative energy and take us off our fossil fuel addiction. It was amazing. And I guess his world domination plan was in a way his vivid vision. Let's call it a vivid vision squared. So he articulates these big, big, hairy, audacious goals, these big, vivid visions like the Hyperloop concepts, which are probably 10 years out in enough detail that then other people will then create a three-year vivid vision for Hyperloop technologies or you know, Virgin's Hyperloop, like they'll create kind of a more micro three-year vivid vision. But Elon is communicating something similar, but at a much bigger level. Got it. So I see now where that three-year horizon is coming from. Because it's easier to wrap your head around a three-year one, right? It's easier to figure out how do we make that happen. It's much more conceptual, much more 50,000 foot level to figure out the vivid vision squared. And there's a quote often attributed to Bill Gates, And different versions of the quote say it in different ways, but the essence of the quote is, we often overestimate what we can do in one year, but underestimate what we can do in three. Wow, I didn't know that quote. I've got to find that that's exactly what it is. And the reason that five years is too far out is it's just so far out there that people don't get stressed enough to make it happen, right? They don't think of any urgency and the need to make it happen right away because it's just too far out. And then the second part is it's so far out there that they don't really think it's even possible anymore. You know, it's kind of far out. So walk us through the steps. We want to create a vivid vision for our business or the department in our business or our project. What do we do first? So the first thing that I want you to do is to get out of your office, get away from technology, get out of your boardroom or get out of your home If you're writing a personal one, no laptop, no iPad, nothing. Just take a notebook and a couple of pens and go sit somewhere around nature. Go sit in a park near the ocean, by a river, up in a mountain, somewhere where you can just dream. I love going and sitting out in my backyard in a hammock and lying in a hammock with a notebook and take about four hours to just let your mind relax and think about the future and start scribbling down notes. So I do a mind map. And I'll start mind mapping of maybe 10 or 15 different areas about my business or 10 or 15 different areas about my personal life. And I just jot down as many ideas of what I think my life or my business will look like three years in the future. And as I keep writing them down and describing them without worrying about how I'm going to make it happen, it's kind of conceive, believe, and achieve, right? If we know what we're looking for, our mind will all of a sudden attach to figuring out the plan. 
But over the course of about four hours, you're going to get about 80% there. Then I do a second session for one or two hours to just fill in the blanks about a week later. At that point, I take all the rough notes, all the rough bullet points, and I organize them into paragraphs or into sections so that I have all the similar themed sections. And then I write up each section as a paragraph. And that becomes kind of version one. Version one usually gets to about three or four pages of written content describing the future. I then, as the owner, as the entrepreneur, as the person, I would then pass that to a copywriter. I have a woman, Jen Hude, who's spectacular. And she's done probably almost 100 of Vivid Visions now for different companies. She takes the rough drafts and polishes them up for us. But you get it to any good copywriter will make it pop off the page. That's amazing. Now, for those of you who want to see an example of Cameron's Vivid Vision, firstly, you might want to check out the book. But also, if you go to CameronHerald.com and click on About, you'll see that Cameron actually openly shares the Vivid Visions for two of his companies. One is called COO Alliance. The other is called City Forums. And I love that you do that, Cameron. You know, I learned that again years ago, that if everyone can see what I can see, they'll help me make it come true. But if nobody can see what I can see, then they're guessing. So what I try to do is I share it with the world, almost like Elon shares his IP with the world. No one's going to go out and create my vivid vision. It has to actually have the right people and energy behind it. But if I keep sharing it with people, they start connecting the dots for me. They'll see a sentence. They'll be like, oh, I can introduce somebody who will help you make that happen. I'll give you an example. My BHAG, my big, hairy, audacious goal is to replace mission statements with vivid visions worldwide. So I want entrepreneurs all over the world creating vivid visions so that their employees are inspired to help build those. That's why the media is interviewing me. That's why I'm being asked to speak on stages all over the world. Next month, I'm speaking in Lima, Peru to a group of a couple hundred CEOs. And that'll be the sixth continent that I've now presented in. So my BHAG of having these vivid visions used worldwide is coming true because people are reading my vivid vision and they want to help me make it come true. Amazing, amazing. Now, you know what's funny? We started an exercise at Mind Valley and we called it envisioning documents. So, every division of the company, we have around 300 people now, every division of the company creates an envisioning document. Everybody in the company can create an envisioning document. It's basically a vision of where they want their division to emerge. So, for example, our events division would talk about mass global events and the type of people who would get on stage. But, you know, what I realized after reading your book is that I'd had every department of the company doing it. But for whatever reason, me as the founder, I hadn't done the overall company. Yeah. So what you want to start with, again, it's like if you were building a home, you've now got a vivid vision for each room of the home. You've got a dining room one and a kitchen one and a living room one. You don't have one tying it all together. So you need to have that overarching vivid vision for what you want the company to look and feel like. And then let all the business leaders do one for their business areas because it will dovetail in. And I realized why, Cameron, what the resistance was. And I wanted to ask you for advice on this one in case other listeners have the same problem. I've always been trained to believe that if I was the CEO of a business, I shouldn't be setting the vision completely by myself. I should give some sort of direction, but adapt the vision from everyone's ideas, right? And Mind Valley has a history of operating as a democratic workplace. We were the first company in Asia to win the World Blue Award for workplace democracy. And part of that is sort of consolidating ideas from everyone and ensuring that everyone has a say. But I realized that maybe that psychology was actually holding me back from actually putting my own nose to the paper and creating a bit. It's a little bit flawed in that people still have a desire to follow a leader. 
you know, there is that cult of leadership and you are one of those leaders like Vishen Laklani. I mean, I've known your name for years. We've talked off and on and have exchanged emails and I've had so many of your employees reaching out to me. Like you have a bit of that cult of leadership, you know, like a Dave Asprey from Bulletproof Coffee or a Elon Musk or JJ Virgin, like Joe Polish, like Steve Jobs, right? People want to know what your vision is. Your employees want to know what your vision is and all they're getting is sound bites of it, but they want to read what you see the company looking like. Oh, it feels painful when you say that. It's so painful because it's so true. Seriously, Cameron, all of you guys listening, after reading this book, and it took me literally, Cameron, it's a short book. It took me like maybe two hours to read it. After reading this book, the biggest thing I wanted to do before opening up a Google Doc and writing my vivid vision is I wanted to kick myself. Because I was thinking, this is so powerful. Why did I not think of this? Well, here's why you don't water it down. Let's say that I brought the best electrical contractor, the best plumber, the best drywaller, and the best kitchen cabinet maker, and I asked them to design a house. They have no idea what I'm looking at. I'm the homeowner. It's my home. And they can't possibly be as inspired to build the best kitchen if they don't know how it works with the rest of the home. You know, if they don't know how many bedrooms they're in the house, how can they possibly make the kitchen work? So what you want to do is design the future and explain what you can see and then let everyone else figure out their business areas and how it connects. And then where you want to do is get out of the way to let them figure out the how. I think that's the most important. I think entrepreneurs tend to over-involve in the plans and doing the blueprints. I'm not going to build blueprints for my house. But I just want to make sure everyone knows what, in your case, what does Mindvalley look like three years from now in all aspects? And then they can figure out the plans to make it come true. Now, is there any harm, Cameron, in going beyond three years, in looking at 10 or 20 years? Yes. You can still have a BHAG, that big, hairy, audacious goal. You can still have some kind of a document that might describe what the 10 or 20-year company looks like. But people want to figure out what they can attach their work today. They want to know that what I'm working on is making a certain sentence or a number of sentences come true. And if it's so far out there, especially with Gen Y, you look at the second half of the cohort of Generation Y, they need to see value and meaning in their work and they're only loyal six months at a time. If your vivid vision is 10 years out, they don't see that anything they're working on is worthwhile. They don't see that any of the projects they're working on is making anything come true. It's too far out there. I see why you're saying that. It's not just about human psychology. It's about the way people seek jobs and the way people stay at companies. Now, my next question is this, right? I love how you've separated Vivid Visions from BHAGs and Big Harry Audacious Gold BHAGs that I believe was introduced by Jim Collin in Good to Great, another amazing book. But what's the difference between a mission statement, a vision statement, and a vivid vision? Yeah. So I look at every business like it's a jigsaw puzzle. So when you get a jigsaw puzzle, it comes in a box, right? And what's on the front cover of the box? It's the picture of what the puzzle looks like. I look at every business like a jigsaw puzzle. The vivid vision is the picture of what the company looks like three years from now. And then when we open up the box, we take all the pieces out. We usually look for the four corners as a way to start the jigsaw puzzle. The four corners are the BHAG, the core values, the core purpose, and your plans to make the vision come true or the vivid vision. So your core purpose is why we exist as a company, right? My core purpose is helping entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. So everything I do helps entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. My BHAG is replacing vision statements with vivid visions worldwide. My core values, I can rhyme off my five core values to you. And then the sides of the business are the people systems, strategic thinking systems, the meeting rhythms, and your financial systems. 
I see. Okay, so you said the BHAG, the core purpose, the values, and the plan. Those are the corners. Got it. And the vivid vision is... It's a picture on the front of the jigsaw puzzle, exactly. So a mission statement and a vision statement are just different words for the same thing. They tend to be that one sentence statement that you've really pulled all your employees together and pulled all your core words together and it becomes a one sentence that aligns the company. So the mission statement and the vision statement, that's the why and the BHAG is the what. Correct. But there's been some confusion over the years of, is a mission statement the same as a core purpose? Probably yes, right? So you can have a core purpose, a mission statement, a vision statement. They're all really the same thing. The problem is those have never been enough to align the entire company. And I think that's why the vivid vision is so strong. It's that one piece you're going, shit, that's what's been missing all this time. I see. I see. Now, I'm asking this on behalf of certain people who might be listening who may not be the CEO of a company or the founder of a company or may not be in business for themselves, but they might be leading a division of a company. They might be head of sales or head of engineering. Does the vivid vision process still apply to them? Yes. Well, first, you want to try to get your CEO to actually craft the vivid vision for the company. So ideally, the CEO has crafted the vivid vision for the whole company, and then you're crafting one for your business area. If you can't get the CEO to actually draft one, then yes, it would be up to you to actually do your own and in kind of doing it in a vacuum. And for those of you listening, you know, this is actually a lot easier than you think. As I said, I got the process slightly flipped around. I, as a CEO, hadn't created my vivid vision for the company, but I had every department creating their vivid vision for technology, for events. And people were so excited about this process, they jumped right in. So we have something like 20 different Google Docs for every department on that Google Doc. And again, we called it an envisioning doc but it would be essentially a vivid vision of where that department was going to be. However, there were no concrete rules around it. And I love what Cameron is saying because the way Cameron has explained it has just made this so much clearer. Now, Cameron, my next question is this. So one of the methodologies that I've played around with, which has just had a profound impact on the business is OKRs, right? My HR team actually came to me with John Dower's book, Measure What Matters. It's a phenomenal book. We brought in OKR consultants and we moved our entire company this past quarter into OKRs. And OKRs have been amazing. It stands for Objective and Key Result. And I've spoken about OKRs online. So many of you listening to this podcast know what I mean by OKRs. It's what Intel and Google uses to run their organization. Can you explain how Vivid Vision differs from OKRs? Well, yeah, it's completely different. So the OKRs are basically part of the meetings. It's part of the systems of reviewing how we're doing against our goals or OKRs are your goals to make the vision come true. So your Vivid Vision is what the future looks and feels like. And then you break that down into a set of annual goals and quarterly goals. So I have every company set four goals annually. Your employee net promoter score. So how happy are your employees? your customer net promoter score, how happy are your customers, your profit number, and how much net profit are we actually going to generate, and then the revenue that will then make that come true. And I actually set them in that order. Most companies set a revenue goal first. I start with employee first. Once I know four numbers, then I come up with what are our core goals or our core rocks for the company, for the quarter, and for each business area, and for each person. So what are the three main things that each person, business area, and company are going to get done? And then what are the key metrics we're going to measure to make sure we're getting those done? So OKRs are really the goals and metrics that you're going to be driving towards to make the visions or the overall goals come true. OKRs are critical. You need them. But if you don't know where you're going, any OKRs will do. 
right? If we don't know what the vision of the company is, how do we know if we have the right OKRs at all? I really love how you phrased that. And I love that you put employee net promoter score up there as number one, customer net promoter score as number two, net profit, and then revenue in that order. That's brilliant, Cameron. If you've got really happy employees, they're going to take care of your customers. And then if you've got really happy employees and really happy customers, of course, you're profitable because you can charge whatever you want. Right, right. No, absolutely, absolutely true. I love this philosophy that you're bringing to the business world. Like, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur now for maybe two decades and it's surprising how ill-informed we often are. We plunge straight into trying to get our businesses to work by obsessively trying to figure out the product without getting all of these things around us right, you know? Yeah, I think of business owners, myself included at times, I see us all like the fly trying to get out the window. You know, you've seen a house fly banging its head on the window, trying harder, trying harder. And I'm like, darn, if you just turn 90 degrees, there's a door just to your right, go out the door, it's easier. I think business is so simple and we overcomplicate it. Like as an example, I learned recently that the only reason we even have a customer service department is because of one of four reasons. Either our product sucks, our service sucks, we've overset expectations with our customers, or we have poor FAQs on our website. But if we fix those four things, we don't need any of the people that work for us in customer service at all. Okay, that's really profound. The only reason we have a customer service department is that our product sucks, our service sucks, we overstated expectations, or our FAQs on our website suck. Correct. So think about that for a second. How many people does the average company, or in your case, Mindbelly, right, in all of our businesses, how many people do we have working in customer service? And then add up the total cost of all those people and the management time and the office space and computers, et cetera. That's a lot of money there. Like think of Amazon. When's the last time we phoned Amazon with a problem? Uh, never. Because their product is really good. Their service is really good. Their FAQs on their website are so consistently perfect and clear and clean and easy to understand and navigate. And their expectations are perfect. They tell us exactly when stuff's showing up and we can send it back if there's a problem. It's like, shit, they've eliminated their entire customer service department. Amazing. That is profound, profound, profound advice. It's so simple, right? I think of all the grandmotherism. Like our grandmothers are really the smartest people. They have so much wisdom around life. And if we would just listen to them and bring those back into the business world, like, why are people calling me? I don't know, because your product sucks or your service sucks. Shit, you're right. Like, it doesn't get any more simple than that. So fix those two. You know, that's really deep. We set a goal in 2011 to have one of the best customer service teams in the world. We ended up winning an award by Nice Reply for like the quality of our customer service team. And all of that started because we were enamored by Zappos and Zappos had incredible service and we wanted to have a reputation for incredible service. But in the last one year, I realized as our customer support team has swelled to 15% of our workforce, I realized that it's actually a bad thing. That's all profit. Or... It's either I just jumped up and grabbed my laptop and started pacing, but that's all profit or that's all money that could be distributed to the other 85% of the people that you really need. Exactly. And it actually makes the customer service experience worse because we are relying on human beings when what customers want is really fast resolution. And you can solve that with machine learning, with FAQs, with self-service centers and so on. So imagine if you set a goal for 2019 and 2020 to eliminate customer service completely absorb those employees into the rest of the company in some way, shape, or form, but increase your net promoter score to positive 85%. Now, do you measure your net promoter score of your customers? 
We actually do. Yes. So for our listener who maybe hasn't heard Net Promoter Score, if you look up NPS or Net Promoter Score and just read the Wikipedia page, it's easy. But you ask people one question on a scale of one to 10, how enthusiastically would you recommend our service to a friend? You take the percentage of people that give you a nine or 10, those are your promoters, subtract the percentage of people that give you one through six, those are your detractors. You end up with a result of somewhere between negative 100% and positive 100%. When you get to about positive 80 to 90% Net Promoter Score, which is very hard and very high, all of a sudden, you don't need customer service at all. When you're operating in the 20 to 50% range, we tend to need customer service departments because we're masking for the underlying problem. In fact, it's funny, like I always want to fix the root problem. Elon Musk recently said, if you're in a bad meeting, leave the meeting. I sent him a text. I'm like, no, don't leave the meeting. Fix meetings. The reason meetings suck is nobody knows how to show up at them. They don't know how to attend them. They don't know how to participate. They don't know how to run them. If you would fix meetings, no one would be in a bad meeting in the first place. And what you're saying is that you get NPS score to 80, you don't need customer support. Bingo. So at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I helped build that company from 14 employees at the head office. When I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. We had a positive 94, 95% net promoter score on our franchisee side. We won the franchisor of the year in the world from the International Franchise Association. Our franchisees were thrilled. We weren't handling problems with franchisees. We had to slow our growth down because they all wanted to buy franchises. That is an amazing wake-up call, Cameron. An amazing wake-up call because I realized that I've been looking at the problem wrongly. Yeah, we tend to, again, be like the fly trying to work harder and get out the window where there's a door. And it's just when you solve the root problem and when you go back to simplicity, it just is easier. Like I think as well, we have so many great employers out there, so many great companies, but they're spending all their time with their C players. And your A players are your racehorses. The B players are the workhorses. C players have to go to the glue factory. When you get rid of your bad employees or your grumpy or your negative employees, and then you as the leadership team start spending time with your A players, your A players will go through brick walls for you. But we tend to spend so much time with our wrong employees and not giving our time to our best employees that we're not solving all these problems. Most companies could fire 15% of their workforce today. No one would blink. And then if leadership would give their time to their best people, you'd solve every problem out there. Now, here's a question, Cameron. One of the things you said is that when you set the goals for your companies, you put employee net promoter score right on top, right? How do you reconcile that relentless focus on only the best employees and letting the weaker ones, you know, flutter along with ENPS? Because obviously when you're measuring ENPS, you're measuring everyone. Yeah. So I don't let the weaker ones flutter along. We actually let them go work for another company. Look, if you went to a doctor tomorrow and the doctor said, okay, Vishen, you've got a cancerous tumor in your lung. How long would you let it sit there? You'd have the cancerous tumor taken out immediately. Well, when you realize you've got cancerous employees or negative employees or underperforming employees or bad culture employees, remove them today. And then give your time to all of your good, healthy organs, right? Give your time to your good, healthy employees. So what I look for is getting really true A and B players into the company, getting rid of the Cs, and making sure that all the As and Bs are aligned with my vision so they all see where we're going, and that they all have the support and the coaching and the skill development and the support systems cheering them on so that, and getting out of their way and just helping them, helping remove obstacles so that they can make it all happen. Love it. I love this advice you're dishing out. I'm going to pull myself back into all of your books. I love the way you view business. Now, for people here who are listening to this podcast and really want to know more about your ideas and your books, of course, I totally recommend Vivid Vision. I've read Double Double, as I said, probably two or three times. Meetings Suck is another great book. 
But Cameron, are there any other ways people could work with you? Yeah. And then the last one is the Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs that I co-authored with Hal Elrod. I also started the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. You know, we have so many groups for the entrepreneur, right? We've got Mindvalley, we've got EO, we have YPO, we have Genius Network. We have all these places for the entrepreneur, but we had nowhere for their COO to go. So I started something called the COO Alliance. Now companies need at least 30 employees or full-time equivalents to put their second in command into the COO Alliance, but that's one way they can work with me. Another way is if they have at least 50 employees and 5 million in revenue, then I can coach the CEO and their leadership team on their growth. Those are really the core ways right now. Amazing. I love that advice. So thank you, Cameron. Guys, definitely go check out Vivid Vision. I think it's going to change the way you envision your business and envision your life. So check it out on Amazon. I don't rave about books. In fact, I have a policy when people ask me to write a forward for a book, and I get that request every few days, I say no because I don't write fake forwards. I only endorse books I've read and books that so shifted how I operate in the world that they caused a significant transformation in who I am as a person. And Vivid Vision sort of did that, even though you know it's a relatively short book. I've read it in two hours. So if you're an entrepreneur, I strongly recommend you check this out. Thank you, Cameron. Thanks, Vish. And by the way, the one book that's really rocking my world right now is called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And it's probably one business book in the last 10 years that's truly blown me away. That's an amazing book. I read that too. And it's great that you're recommending that. So thanks, guys. Check out Vivid Vision. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, go ahead and leave us a review. I know this was a slightly different subject matter. It was more business related. But go ahead and leave us a review and mention Cameron's name in that review so that we can pass your feedback directly to Cameron. Thank you, Cameron. Thanks, Vision. Appreciate it. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.